Hi, church. I'm uh, usually in the back um, doing music and screens and cameras, so grace, please. Thank you. <laughs> I will be reading from the book of Job, chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were drink, eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is God's profound word. Let's give Marina a yes, round of applause. Thank you. 
Very well read indeed. Thank you for reading that. So we are, well, good morning. It's good to see everyone today. Thank you for, like Merrick said, for braving the fluffy white snow. Um, so uh, yeah, we're in week two here of this series. We're doing Questioning God. Last week we kicked it off with there can't just be one true religion. Today we're doing how can a good God allow suffering. Next week will be isn't Christianity restrictive and oppressive. And uh, this is a great series. You know, th- these are big questions that, that a lot of us have, that a lot of people have, and uh, we've got these invites for it that you should have received when you came in. Um, and this, you know, we, these are all on our YouTube channel, so they're great things to share with people. Uh, but please be thinking about getting this content out to people because these are big barriers that people face uh, to faith, and we want to tackle these things and uh, give good, a good response uh, to them. Here's my, uh, my conviction. I shared this last week, but I'll, I'll recap it for today. My, my observation is that all people are searching for and want to believe in something spiritual. All people want to believe in something transcendent. So you'll see people who have denounced God will find themselves praying in times of crisis. You'll see scientists are saying that we're trying to harmonize everything in the universe to try and make it all work together. We're trying to come up, come up with a theory of everything. And that's because we, we're drawn to meta-narratives. We, we can't stop but striving for the greatest good and greatest ideal. We're indelibly religiously oriented. We, we can't help but be that way. And the Christian message that there's a divine creator that loves you, that cares about you, that wants to know you, that wants to, wants to set you free from evil and is interested in your flourishing... That message will never grow old. That message will never go away because that's the truth of the Christian message. But even with these, this assertion I have that, that people are you know, seeking something spiritual, want to believe in something spiritual, and uh, that the, the Christian message is so profoundly attractive, even with that, there are these big barriers to people coming into faith. And so during this series, we're trying to dismantle some of those barriers so that the entry to the Christian faith is easier for people. You still have to have faith, uh, but it's, it's easier for people. But also, we want to help ch- uh, come and deal with any doubts that we might have. So yes, this is helpful stuff for people who are outside the Christian faith, but man, this is really helpful for those of us who struggle from time to time with these exact questions and with these uh, doubts that we have. Now, since suffering is a universal problem, no human being can live without suffering. It's a universal experience. It's one of the things that probably binds us together in the greatest way is that we all suffer. Because of that, we all grapple with the question, why? And why me? Why not somebody else? Why not SpongeBob SquarePants? Why can't he suffer instead of me? Why, why, why suffering at all? Why does it happen at all? And so today we're looking at Job chapter 1. Job is the, the Bible's book on suffering. If you want to learn about suffering, you want to understand it, you, you study and you read Job, who suffered greatly. We just read all the suffering here in chapter 1. Let me pray before we get into more of this message today. Jesus, we need your help today. I pray that you would help us to grasp a hold of your word and the understanding that you give us, that we, that we will be able to face our sufferings, since suffering is universal, but also that we would have a robust understanding, a robust way of thinking about and responding to suffering, that we would not just be able to answer questions for those who have these questions, but also that we, we would be able to see our doubts vanish 
and that we better bring, help bring people through across these barriers to actually know you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we read from Job chapter 1. Now since we have this idea, right, we have this, this basic idea that if you do something wrong, it's a universal idea. If you do something wrong, there should be a consequence to it. And, you know, we have this, we experience this in our household, that uh, if you don't give lots of attention and lots of love to golden doodles, then you, you get the feeling that you really should be punished for it because the, the looks you get and the, the response you get, you, you realize uh, you're doing something wrong if you're not giving tons of love and constant attention. Um, but in all seriousness, though, the, the idea of justice, right, the, the idea of equal retribution, that if you've committed a crime, you... Uh, got to face the consequences for it. I think we all agree with this to some degree that, you know, we, and we're okay with some level of government force has to be involved. Some, you know, we have to restrict somebody's freedom if they've committed a crime, they've done something immoral, that they may have to, they have to pay a penalty, there's a fine, there's, there's a consequence for them, even incarceration, depending on what it is, or even, you know, you can, you can debate capital punishment, right? There's these ideas that we have that we, we say, yeah, that if you've done something wrong, there should be a consequence for it. And you take that to the extreme, and you could say, you could think of the worst people in, in history. You can think of you know, the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Maos of history. And you could say, yeah, you know, either, either well, depending on when you land, you could say, you know, either lock them up and throw away the key or bring out the death penalty. Like you could say there should be a, a serious consequence for what these people have done. So we understand that there's a, there's a different category as well. Not, not quite the same as that, but a different category under parental discipline. So this is the idea that you know, children don't know how to behave in the world and they act out and they do, do and say things they shouldn't do and they hurt other people. And, you know, if a child's acting out, you know, it's the parents' responsibilities to discipline their children in some, you know, way to bring a consequence, to say this is unacceptable behavior. This is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt society. It's going to hurt other people. You've got to learn to not behave that way and you've got to learn how to treat people, right? And, you know, the, so we, we understand that as well, right? So we've got these two ideas, that you commit a crime or do something immoral, there's got to be a punishment or a parent needs to discipline their child somehow. And we, would, we would go further than saying these are necessary, we'd actually say this is good. I, I think, I think most of us would say actually, that it's not just necessary, it's actually, it's actually a good thing to do that. It doesn't always feel nice because it kind of feels like you've got to be a bit tough, but you say ultimately it's good to do that. Because people have done something wrong and the consequence they deserve the consequence of what they've done wrong. So that's our framework, right? When we think of suffering, we think of discomfort, we think of pain, we think, well, you get what you deserve. You've done something wrong, you pay the price. We wrongly then take that idea, which is that's correct, but we wrongly apply that then to any suffering or any pain we experience, any discomfort. We take that same idea and we apply it. And if we suffer, we can wrongly think, it must, it must have been because I did something wrong. I must have, maybe in a previous life, I did something wrong. People come to that conclusion. Christians don't believe that, but people, some people believe that. Or you just come to the conclusion, God's just do, you know, I, maybe my intentions were bad, I did something bad, because why else would I be suffering? Actually, that's the story in Job. Job's friends later on in later chapters come to him and basically say the same thing. Well, you must have done something wrong. The story of Job categorically says that is incorrect. You can live an upright life. You can do everything right. I mean, Job kept it 100. He did everything right. And 
More than that, I mean, he's even making sacrifices for his own children, just in case, just in case there's anything wrong on their end. I'm going to make sure they're in good standing as well. You can live a peaceful, prosperous life and share your prosperity, be generous and do all the good things. You can get it and be upright in every way, just like Job, and still suffer, and suffer greatly. Through no fault of your own, still suffer. That's the that's, that's, the, that's one of the big messages that we get from the Bible, from the book of Job. And it's really hard for our minds to get around this idea because we think, well, you only suffer because you've done something wrong. The story of Job is, no, there's another category of suffering. It's completely on its own category that you've got to look at and understand. That's what we're exploring today. Now, as we get into the subject matter, we have to realize that this, this, this issue of suffering is twofold. It's an emotional issue as well as an intellectual issue. And we will you know, take some, some time here today to look at the, a thoughtful response to it. But the problem with that is that it's a bit sterile and it doesn't, it doesn't really engage with the, the human experience, with the human side of this, with the emotional side of this. Because if you suffer, all you, all you can do, all you should do is lament. At, that, at the point of suffering in your life, all the philosophizing, all the intellectualizing, all of the reasoning, all of that goes out the window because all you feel is your pain and your sorrow and your sadness, what you've lost, what you're struggling with. And we, we're encouraged in Scripture to bring our complaints to God. We've got to learn to mourn with those who mourn and to comfort those who are in distress. What we shouldn't do, what we should never do if we're encountering somebody suffering is to say something like, well, you know, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. Doi. Right? It reminds me of this sign, actually. I saw this picture. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. I think it's funny. It's a funny sign. Sometimes that's true. But here's what we should never do as, as Christians when, when somebody's suffering. And if you found yourself maybe giving that kind of cliched answer to somebody's suffering, it's probably good to apologize to that person. But let me just give a, 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 some pastoral counsel here. If someone's suffering, never, ever, ever say, well, everything happens for a reason, right? That's like the worst thing to say, in fact, a very insensitive thing to say. It might have some truth to it. I'm not saying it might not be truth to it, but that's, that's the wrong thing to say in that moment because this is, first and foremost, this is a human emotional issue. Learning to be compassionate, learning to Mourn with those who mourn is, is far more important. It's, it's, that, is, that is more important than learning the intellectual reasons and learning the, the, the thoughts and the rationale behind trying to, to grapple with how, how can my mind understand it. It's much more important to learn how to respond and how to deal with it. And just to say today, if you're suffering, you're going through something, whether it's very mild, I mean, all of our suffering feels big to us in the moment, right? But whether it's very small or it's like catastrophic, like it's, it's Job-level or approaching Job-level catastrophe, let me, just say, let me just say this. I'm sorry for your suffering. I don't know why you're suffering. I can't give you the explanation to why you are suffering in the way you're suffering. And I'm sorry. I wish you weren't suffering. I wish I could take it away. I wish you didn't feel it. All I can say is I've suffered. My family's been through some great suffering. And all I can say is maybe, I, maybe in some way I can find some way to, to associate and understand your suffering. All, all suffering is different, but 
maybe I can relate to it in some way. And just as we've received help from friends, from family, from our church, from God himself, I'll do whatever I can to help you in your suffering. That's, 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 all, I, that's all I can really say if you're facing suffering in this moment. Learning, because, because, because suffering is a universal experience, learning to suffer well is the most important thing because you cannot avoid it. You can try, you can spend your life trying to avoid suffering, but then you actually never learn to deal with it. Jesus suffered well. That's the big thing of the Bible. Job actually points to that, right? Even his response to this suffering in chapter one is amazing. It's going to happen. The longer you live, the more, the more we understand how evil and how corrupt the world is, the more you're going to understand, I'm going to see more tragedy and loss as the years go by. And that's, that's a sobering thought to have, but learning to, learning to respond to it is far better the most important thing that we could have. Now, having a thoughtful understanding of it still has value. You can only learn... See, here's the problem is, I can't really, get in a sermon or reading a book, I can't really give you what you need, and I, I can't really learn what I need from a book or from a sermon in terms of how to learn to suffer well. The only way truly to learn to suffer well is to face suffering with God's help and learn how to respond properly to it. You have to learn it from the school of life. It's not, it's not, you can't just theorize and say, oh yeah, I'm gonna plan. You can get some inspiration, you get some ideas, but until you do it, until you actually like, you, you face the hardest things you've ever faced in your life and you try and get through and you get to the other side of it, that's the only way. So, so we've got to develop a, that understanding. We learn that in life. Today I want to, you know, I'm gonna focus on how do, we, how do we understand it from a, a thought perspective? Because in, for this reason, from a rational, rationale perspective, because if we don't, what can happen is some people can abandon their faith and they, sh they don't need to. Because, and actually, this is probably one of the biggest reasons that people either can't come into the Christian faith or perhaps they leave the Christian faith is for this exact reason of the existence of evil and suffering. Because they, they, they wrongly have thought, well, if I'm a believer in God, then he's just going to bless me all the time. It's always going to be good. It's always going to be great. And then they hit something really, really tough, and they say, well, this can't be right. This doesn't square away with my understanding. And actually, it was their understanding that was wrong in the first place, the nature of evil and suffering. We're going to get into that. Think about it this way. The heroes that you have, the people that you respect the most, that you want to be like the most, why do we, why do we turn people into our heroes? It's because gen generally because they have suffered well, because they've overcome great adversity. They faced the evil in their life, and they actually overcame it in some way, and they're an absolute inspiration to us and to other people. That's the kind of person we want to be like. And so the emotional side is the most important side. The mature side, facing it well, is the most important side, and we do that. God's Word helps us do that. The Holy Spirit helps us do that. Being part of a Christian community helps us do that. And going through the journey of life with God helps us do that. But if we don't have also have this, this intellectual piece figured out, we also can't help people break through that barrier. And also we're in danger of, we're in danger of, of losing or weakening our own faith because we, we can get, you can get trapped in loopholes and you can get kind of stuck in these, these, these kind of intellectual kind of quagmires, as it were, where you, you, you start asking these big questions and you, you can't figure it out because you didn't take the time initially to, to get a foundation that's strong enough to stand on. So that's what I want to enter into today and talk about today based on Job chapter one. So here's my big point. Don't miss the, my, my first big point. Don't miss the profoundness of this. It's, it's very simple, 
but it's very profound. Nobody can use the existence of evil and suffering ever. They can never do this. They can never use the, the existence of evil and suffering to say that God, therefore, cannot exist. Think about it like this. There's no logical connection between these two points. Human beings don't like certain things. We cry when they happen. We get sad. We get mad. We get distressed and depressed. And there are all kinds of things we are angry about that we don't like. That feeling that we have has no bearing on, is there an original creator of all things? There's no logical connection. So anytime you hear someone say, I just can't believe in God because of all the evil and suffering, you have to realize, well, that's, that's a completely illogical claim. There's no connection. Just because human beings don't like certain things is not evidence that there's no God. It's a very simple point. Don't underestimate the, the depth of that point. Now, here's what evil and suffering can be. More, it's more reasonable to ask these questions. It's more reasonable to say, to bring into question the character and the nature of God. It's more reasonable because you say, well, if God is, if God is good, but it, there's suffering, well, does, that, does that mean he's not powerful enough to stop the suffering? Or if he is powerful enough to stop the suffering, but he doesn't, then is he not all good? Th those are more reasonable questions to, 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 to question the character and the nature of God. But you can never use suffering to question the existence of God. It cannot be done. It doesn't make any sense. Now, while we're talking about the existence of God, let me take a minute just to insert something here like I did last week. I like to do this when I get the opportunity to. Uh, we talked last week because we still have bigger sometimes questions about, well, is there even a God? And last week we looked at the clue of mathematics pointing to as a big giant clue to the existence of God. I want to talk about black holes. Just give me a second to go into black holes. You know I love to talk about these things. Some of you have heard this before, but the black hole, a black hole can illustrate, and we have a picture of a black hole here, actually. This was taken a few years ago, the first ever photograph of a black hole. And no joke, it is actually, a, it, it, it's not very clear, right? <laughs> it's like a, it could be anything, right? I could have taken that picture in a closet, right? And you, could, you wouldn't know. Um, this, a black hole illustrates some, of a way of understanding God. So let me explain it like this, like this. For the longest time, scientists couldn't figure out the movement of galaxies. They couldn't figure out why things were moving the way they were until they just, someone came up with a theory of black holes and this idea that there's these giant invisible spheres that are out there and they're controlling and manipulating everything around them. And uh, I mean, it almost sounds fanciful, doesn't it? It almost sounds like something you're trying, it's like snake oil, right? That you're trying to sell somebody on. Yes, it, honestly, there's these giant invisible spheres that are just out there. Uh, but now we have a photograph of one. The only way, way you can get a photograph of one is if a black hole moves in front of another light source, so like another star system or a giant star or something that, that you're, in, you're here and the star is here and there's a black hole in the middle and then you can suddenly see, oh, yeah, there's nothing there. Because how can you take a picture of nothing, right? It's invisible, right? The gravity is so great that even light can't escape from the black hole. That's why, it's so, that's why you can't see it, because the light can't even escape. Now, this is an illustration of one way to actually think about God. You cannot directly observe God with your eyes. But you get this sense. You get this, there's all these clues. There's these giant clues. You see the effect of God in everything, in people's lives, in creation. You see the effect of God happening all the time. And you say, well, I can't directly see God, but there's all this stuff happening that really makes it look like there is a God. That's the way to think about a black hole. It kind of illustrates that idea of how God works in 
the world. Just because you can't directly see him doesn't mean he's not there because you can see the clues. You can see all the things that are happening in people's lives, all the things throughout history, all the truth, all the, when you see beauty, when you hear music, all these things that point, mathematics, we looked at it last week, all the things that point to the existence of God. So if you get to a place where you say, okay, there is a spiritual reality or it's really likely there's a spiritual reality, then you have to grapple with the nature of that spirituality, the nature of it. And so then we ask these big questions, don't we? We ask these big, giant questions. Well, if God is all good, he can't be all powerful, otherwise he stops suffering. And all the other way around, well, if God is all powerful, then he can't be all good because, again, he stops suffering. Now, those are more reasonable, they're more understandable questions to ask. I understand why people ask those questions. I've thought those questions before. Maybe you've thought those questions before. Many people think those questions. But they're still flawed thinking. They're still flawed thinking. In the same way that it's, it's flawed thinking that somebody might think that Gino's East is better than Giordano's. It's that kind of level of flawed thinking. There's actually, it's, it's a false dichotomy really between these, these two all-powerful and all-good claims. It's a false, false dichotomy. Let me explain it to you this way. A parent takes their child to the doctor to get a vaccine. Let's pick a non-controversial vaccine like polio. We're not going to go into it. We're not going to open up a can of worms or a rabbit hole here. We're just gonna, we'll just pick polio. So a parent takes their child to the doctor to get a polio vaccine. The child does not like the doctor puncturing their skin with a needle. And it maybe it burns when it goes in. Maybe it's sore for a few days. They feel sick and shivery for a bit. Who knows? I mean, sometimes you can have really bad reactions to vaccines and you feel awful. The child doesn't like it. They may feel traumatized or mad at their parents or mad at the doctor. I, I mean, I've had times before I had to hold my kids down to like do a blood sample or something. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Does that mean that the parent doesn't love the child? Does it mean the parent can't protect the child? Does it mean the parent doesn't exist? In fact, this example proves the opposite. It proves that, no, the parent has taken them there because they love them, because they want them to be safe. And, they've t and they, they're doing this, which is evidence that they can protect them, because they brought some protection into their life. And it's obvious, <laughs> obviously evidence that they do, also the parent does exist as well. When we're dealing with these really big topics of the existence of evil and suffering, we have to properly frame it and, and look at ourselves in relation to God. So one way to look at ourselves in relation to God is to look at the relationship between, between a child and a parent, actually. So this vaccine example is a good one. But you think of like a very young child uh, with their, their parent. The knowledge gap, the intellectual gap, is enormous. So if a child comes to an adult and asks them a big question like, how does electricity work? Or where do babies come from? These kind of questions. You know, the parent, they can try and get an answer out, right? You might, might, you know, you might think about depending on the appropriateness of the answer, the age of the kid, or even with electricity, many of us may not even know. You may just say, I actually don't know. How does electricity work? But even, even then, the knowledge, you might be able to explain something or get some things out, but in the end, you may just have to say to the child, you know what, it's too complicated to explain right now. You'll figure it out when you get older, all right? And... With, now, that's a very small example of the, the, the gap between us and God. The gap between us and God is so, I mean, it's infinite. Between our intellect and our way of understanding things and being able to contemplate things and think about things, our level is so low. Actually, the child-parent thing is not enough. Let me up the stakes here a little bit. It's, the gap is, is better described this way. Imagine 
one of the, the, the oldest libraries in the world, the largest library in the world you could possibly imagine, filled with all the works, of, all the literature of some of the greatest minds of history, the collective works of some of the greatest writings, some of the greatest philosophy that's ever been written, some of the greatest studies that have ever been done, some of the greatest works of art that have ever been penned. And then you imagine a dog running through that library. That dog cannot, doesn't even have the capacity to understand what it's surrounded by. It doesn't even have the capacity to understand the knowledge gap, the intellectual gap between it and what it wants. It just wants a treat. <laughs> just excited for the humans. It can't, it can't even comprehend what it's missing. That's, even that illustration, the gap between us and God, is even bigger than that. It's even bigger than that. And so when we're grappling with these questions, we have to understand God can understand things in a way that's infinitely beyond anything that we can comprehend. And if, think about it like this. If we hate evil, and we don't like evil, and we want to get rid of evil, God himself hates evil more than us. He hates evil more than us. The gap has, so, so his hatred of evil has to be even higher and, and, great and more attuned and, more, and, and far deeper than our hatred of evil because he truly understands what it is. We just get a glimpse of what it is. He really understands what it is. Here's a second big point I want to make to you. Again, don't, don't miss the, the profound depths of this point. This is another deep point. So my, my first deep point was that the existence of evil and suffering can never be used to disprove the existence of God. It's just an illogical step. There's no connection between those two things. The second big point I want to make is this. Just because your mind can't think of a reason why a good God would allow evil and suffering, just because your mind can't think of it, doesn't mean there isn't a reason. It's a very simple idea, but very powerful. Just because your mind and my mind, just because we can't imagine why something might happen a certain way, doesn't mean there isn't a reason why it would happen that way. It's actually more of a limitation of our own cognitive abilities. It's a limitation of our own minds. We can't, it's a failure of our own imagination or just a limitation of our own minds. What this means is it means as we face evil and suffering, there's a lot of mystery around it. And there would have been a point in my life where I never would have well, I wouldn't have liked to have admitted this. I would have wanted to come up with a more concrete answer <laughs> and say, well, I can give you the exact reason because I've got everything, because I know everything. I've got everything figured out. The older I've gotten, the more experience I have, the more life I've experienced, I realize there is a ton of mystery in this. That means that on this side of eternity, there's a lot of answers we will not get. It also means there's a chance that even in heaven, and we're big believers in heaven, in the afterlife, with God, that even there, we may not get all the insight that we would hope to get. I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of hope that I'll get all the answers. But even there, I'm, I may not be able to comprehend all of the reasons. And this is the nature of faith. This is what faith is. Faith is this, this intuition. This, faith is, is, is this belief that says there's something bigger happening behind the scenes that I can't see but I believe it makes sense in some way that maybe I can't comprehend. That's faith. There's something big happening behind the scenes, almost like that big black hole thing. I can't fully comprehend. I can't fully engage with it, but I, I believe it makes sense. I believe that there is an all-good God who is also all-powerful and has good reasons to allow evil and suffering, even if I can't imagine them, even if I can't understand them right now. This is the story of Job. Can Job, well, 
it's almost like dramatic irony in chapter one, right? Because we get the glimpse of, of the spiritual realm, the conversation in the spiritual realm between good and evil, right? Between God and Satan. We get that conversation. Job doesn't get the notes. Job doesn't hear the conversation. So he doesn't know what's happening. Can Job peel back the layers of the physical world and, and, and peer into the spiritual world and say, wait a second, what's going on? Oh, now I get it. He can't do that. All Job can experience is the tragedy, his little life on earth and all the good things he had, suddenly losing all of them in that moment. And not only that, but how do we square it away with like his wife dies and his kids die and his servants die? And, I mean, this is tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. All he can think about and experience is that. He can't see what's happening in the spiritual realm. He doesn't understand the conversations. He doesn't understand that his life will, will be an example to future generations. He doesn't understand what we, we would be talking about him today. He didn't, he didn't, how can he think of that in that moment? He doesn't understand that his, his life, his response, would serve as, as an example to all of us. He doesn't, know. he doesn't know the confidence that God has in him. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that the very primacy of God, the very glory of God is in question. But there's a question. Is God worthy of worship in spite of his blessings to the human race. That question is being asked. God's glory and God's greatness is being challenged. And Job's suffering, the moment of his life of the greatest tragedy and suffering he could face is helping to answer that question about the primacy, the importance, and the glory of God. And how can Job even think of that in that moment? And that's what faith is. The person of true faith will, they, they can't necessarily think of the reason or imagine the reason or even understand all the divine reasons that God would have, but they, by faith they say there has to be. There's something greater, bigger, and it, it has to make sense somewhere, in some place, at some time. I don't know what it is, but I trust. I trust that it's true. That's the big message. That's the big story from Job chapter 1. It's a profound lesson that we learn. And instead of Job blaming God, Instead of him pointing the finger and accusing God, and by the way, we're free to blame God. I mean, it's not necessarily a good idea, but you, you can do it. Job doesn't do it. Instead, he worships. What an example. What a surprise. He, what maturity. He worships God. Now, the cynical person, and this is the, the cynical accuser in Job chapter 1, the cynical person will say, they'll, they'll say to the, 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 the person of faith, they'll say, well, you, you only believe... You only believe because you get benefits from it. You only believe because you like it, and your family and friends, they believe, and you know you, 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 you get blessings from it and certain perks from it. That's why you believe. And the, the implication there is that if those things fell away, if your family and friends stop believing, or you don't get the blessings or the benefits of it, then you wouldn't believe. That's the accusation. And unfortunately, that is true for some people. They have a shallow, nominal faith. But a person of true faith, someone like Job, someone of true faith, will say, to say to that accusation, say, no, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. I, I believe that this is true. I believe that God is all-powerful and all-good and has my best interests at heart and that even the temporary suffering that I go through, it, it, will, it, it won't always be that way and that there's a, a good reason for it that maybe I will understand, but maybe I won't, but I, I trust that it makes sense. I trust that there is a good God behind all of this. In the end, that's the person of true faith will have, even in the, in, in the, in the face of 
You can only see the evil and suffering. In the face of that, to still have that mindset and that attitude, that's, that's what faith is. If you, if you say to yourself, I've never had that kind of thought, never had that kind of faith, then welcome, come in. Come in. Come into the Christian faith. It's perfect time. Come in. Have that kind, you can have that kind of faith. It's the kind of faith Job has. Many people have that kind of faith. Think of it like this. Imagine, well, God is always holding back evil. I mean, if we think about how corrupt the human heart is and how we think of the worst atrocities that have happened in human history that are happening today, think about all that stuff. Imagine if God wasn't holding back evil because people are pretty good at thinking up evil. We're pretty good at thinking up all kinds of terrible things. And if God wasn't permanently actually limiting evil and holding back evil, it would be, what would it be like? What would it be? Maybe it'd be like Back to the Future 2 when Biff's in charge of everything. Or worse, worse than that. It'd be way worse than that. God's always limiting. But what we learn from Job chapter 1 is that there's a default here where God is blessing. You know, he's blessed Job, right? He's, he's, he's got this, all these resources and he's, he's got this great life and this family and all this stuff. And wow, that's, that's the default. God is seeking to, to, to bless you and prosper you and to help you and to sustain you. And yes, that, that, that's God's heart. But then there are divine reasons that we may not always understand where God removes that and allows evil to flourish temporarily, temporarily, for reasons that God has. He allows it to happen, but it's still within his bounds, still within his limits. And we see that in Job chapter 1 because God says, you can do everything to everybody else or everyone else, but you can't touch Job. So even God is still holding back evil. Now, because suffering is unavoidable, it's far smarter, far wiser for us rather than railing against it and just being mad and just angry at the universe or angry at God and saying, why does this have to be this way? Because hopefully we get to a point in our lives where we realize we can't change the suffering. We can't, you can work, you know, sometimes you can alleviate it or you can work, you know, out of certain things. But if you've experienced something in the past, it's, it's, it's what it is. Like it can't be undone. It, it is what it is. And so it's far better to actually learn to do what Job does, to embrace it, and to realize this is now part of my story. This is now part of my journey. I can't undo it. I can't change it. I actually have to learn to accept it and learn to see the lessons of it, and I have to respond to it. Because here's what, here's what evil wants to do. When evil touches your life, when darkness touches your life, it wants to turn you into its image so that you continue to reproduce evil in the world. And the message of Jesus is, Love your enemy. You, 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 you turn evil against itself. You use the power of evil against itself. Well, it's like some kind of like Christian ninja move where you basically say, instead of, instead of perpetuating evil in the world, I'm actually going to learn to shine a light brighter than any darkness I ever face. Now, so that's going all kind of full circle back to the emotional part of this, right? Back to that, that idea that it's, it's far better to learn how to respond to evil and suffering than to know all the intellectual reasons of why it happens in the first place. Far more important. It leads us to a bigger question, though. We can still question, why does evil, even, why does evil exist in the first place? What's the origin? Where does it come from? And that's the biggest question. I mean, everyone, it, that's not just a conundrum for Christians. That's a conundrum for everyone. Everyone has that problem to face. Every worldview has to answer that question, and some don't have very good answers to it. It may be an unsolvable mystery to us in terms of our mind comprehending it. Again, I would love to give you, and I will we'll have a bit of a framework for working through this, but 
again, it might be a bit of an unsolvable mystery of where does evil even come from in the first place. But let me give you my best shot at this. This is my best shot at this. This still may be incomplete, maybe wrong, I don't know, I don't think it's wrong, but it may be incomplete, but at least this is something. I've got four statements. These may make your brain hurt a little bit, but I've got four statements to go through that help us understand the emergence of evil. So we're going to go through these. So suffering exists because evil exists. Evil exists because free will exists. Free will exists because love exists. And love exists because God exists. Now the key there, and you have to think about these for a while. The key there is the second one, is that evil exists because free will exists. So this is the Christian worldview is that God is inherently relational. And God is a God of love, and he wants to share his love. And so he creates his own children, creates his own people. And he wants to share his love with them. But for love to be love, it has to be non-coercive. You can't can't be controlled, can't be forced. And so to actually, for God to share his love with us, and for us to experience God's love, and to love him back, and to love each other, you have to be given some kind of autonomy. So God gave us the gift of autonomy. And this is the Christian worldview that this idea of of having some kind of autonomy, that kind of freedom feature that we have built into us, that was exploited. That was taken advantage of. We were tempted. We were deceived. And because of that deception, we were then, we fell from grace. And so this, this is what makes perfect sense of the world. This is why I love the Christian worldview. So One of the reasons why I love it so much is because it makes sense of a couple of things that we want there to be good. We know there should be good. We're striving for the ultimate good, but that everything's really crappy and really bad and there's evil and it seems to get worse. Like, how can you... So it's this idea of paradise should... I'm striving for paradise and I believe in paradise and it's almost like there was a paradise and there should be, there will be a paradise, but we're not in that paradise. What happened? And Well, that's the Christian worldview is that we are in exile from God. So it makes sense why the world is so broken and corrupt and fallen. Because we're still in exile from God. We fell from grace. So that brings about a bigger question. Is God responsible for evil? Because if you reverse this and you say, well, because God exists, love exists, because God is love, and because love exists, then you've got to have free will in order to share that love. And then while if free will then exists, then you have the opportunity you have the option to not love, to do evil, and therefore evil exists. And then, well, then because evil exists, then you have suffering. So it makes you ask the question then, is God responsible for evil? The Christian answer to this, and the answer that Job has, and the, the Bible says this time and time again, it tells us emphatically, God is holy. He, and not just holy, it says he's holy, holy, holy. And that just means like super, uber, really holy transcendently holy, wonderfully holy, good and righteous, no evil in him whatsoever. So God, yes, created the circumstances that led to that, but he's not responsible for that. That's the Christian answer to that. And we look at that and we see it in the life of Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, perfect, sinless life, the only person to go from birth to death, not one sin. Now, you can, you can still blame God if you want. You're free to do that. Job doesn't. Job doesn't blame God. He worships God. This is the nature of reality. This is the nature of... God is not responsible for it. We'll talk more about this later on. But it leads us to kind of another conundrum, another mystery, in fact, another big question. You kind of keep going down the rabbit hole and you keep getting deeper and deeper into these mysteries and questions. You say, well, if God's all-powerful and 
he made all things and he sees the future and he knows the outcome of all things and he's kind of sovereign and in control of all things. And if he's that way, how can he hold us responsible for the things we do? Because doesn't he know the things we'll do? Can't he stop the things we do? Can't he? Isn't he somehow... How, how can God be all sovereign, but then also an incontrollable things and be saving us and choosing us, but then also hold us accountable for the, our decisions and the way we live? How can those two things work together? It's very confusing. Sorry to make your brain hurt today. The great comfort I find is this. The great comfort is 11.02. People's alarms are going off to pray for Alpha. <laughs> if you're not, we're doing a prayer campaign. We, we're all setting our alarms for 11.02. So that's why, that's why I hear alarms going off. Where was I? Talking about the conundrum of an all-powerful sovereign God and then God holding us individually responsible for the decisions we make. You can actually look to science to get some comfort with this question. So the same conundrum exists in the scientific community. There's no scientific consensus on what's called determinism. That's their version of kind of God's power and sovereignty, and then what they also call free will. And so scientists have different perspectives on this. They don't agree on it, which is wonderful. You should always rejoice and be very excited when scientists don't agree on things. Because people think, well, the scientific view is correct. The science, the science tells us all these things. And uh, no, 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 there's no consensus on this. Some people will say everything's determined. You, some people will say there is no such thing as free will. It doesn't exist. All right? They'll say that. Some scientists will say that. Others will say, well, you have it, but it's limited, and there's, there's different variations and varieties of these things. Uh, but they're trying to harmonize, you know, um, they're try trying to find a theory of everything that harmonizes kind of uh, all, the, all the mathematics behind the universe. So the idea of uh, quantum mechanics and, and general relativity, the, the, the mathematics in those things, don't, they're incompatible, they don't work. And so by faith, Scientists are saying, well, we think there's a theory of everything. We think we can reconcile these things. That is a pure statement of religious level faith. They don't have it. They don't know if it exists, but they believe it. They believe it. In the same way, you can say, I don't know how to reconcile together God's all-powerful sovereign nature, and they're still holding humanity accountable for their individual actions. I don't know how it goes together, but the Bible gives us both, and we can have faith we can have faith that there's a time and a place where it makes absolute sense. It all works together completely. And we go, oh, maybe we'll never understand that. Maybe we will understand that. I don't know. Here's the beautiful, here's the crazy twist of this whole, this whole subject of evil and suffering. The crazy twist is this. Is that rather than evil being evidence against the existence of God, evil is actually evidence for God. The reason we ask this question, let's go back to our main uh, slide here. The reason we ask this question, how could a good God allow suffering, is because we think that evil and suffering are wrong and bad. So if we, if we believe in evil, we believe in what is wrong and what is bad, what does that mean? It means by default we believe in good. It means we believe in good. That's why we're asking this question in the first place. Rust can't exist without iron. Rust can't exist without iron. The iron came first, then the rust came. In the same way, lies can't exist without truth. Evil came because good was there first. Think of it this way. It's like you, you see the, the innocent appearance of the chihuahua, and then you see the ferocious spirit of the chihuahua. There's different ways to see this. You, cannot have, you, have, you have a primary one, and then you have an, a, one that comes after it. Let me ask you this question. 
Is it wrong to cut a branch off a tree? Anyone? Is it wrong to cut a branch off a tree? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's wrong to cut a branch. There's storms all the time. You go to Chicago, you drive around Chicago after a storm, what do you see? Limbs everywhere, tree limbs everywhere. Let me ask you this question. Is it wrong to cut a person's arm off for any reason? Is it wrong? Yes, it's wrong. Why do we know it's wrong? Because we sense a moral obligation behind human nature, behind human beings. We sense a moral lawgiver who says there are ways that human beings must treat each other that's different, that's transcendent beyond anything else. It's powerful. Let me tell you the story of Johnny. Maybe you've heard of, some of you heard of Johnny Erickson. She was 17 years old when she had a diving accident and she uh, was paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, she was a Christian and she um, really though, through this accident, I mean, she was very young, 17, paralyzed from the neck down, tragic accident, almost drowned uh, at the time as well, but survived it, but paralyzed for life. She was depressed, suicidal, questioning her faith, questioning God, angry with God. She eventually came to terms with it and actually is known as a very courageous person. She's now an author. We've got a picture of her. She's an author, famous author. It's a picture of her there. She's now 72 years old. And uh, she also learned to uh, paint with a paintbrush in her mouth, which is pretty amazing. She's an inspiration to many people. She's also a, 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 dis a disability rights activist as well. She tells a story. She was at a women's conference, and during the break, she was in the restroom, and she ended up being surrounded by women. And there's a woman putting on lipstick in the mirror, and this woman, you know, and all the women around her, just this, this one woman just looks at Johnny, and she says, you know, Johnny, you just, you just always look like you've got it, everything together. You just look so happy in your wheelchair. Like, how, how do you do it? How do you do it? And Johnny said, can I be honest with you? I don't. I don't do it. She said, let me tell you about my, my, my average morning. She said, my, my husband leaves the house at 6 a.m. And I'm alone in bed until 7 a.m. when I hear the front door open and my friend is here to help me, get, get me ready for the day. And she's making coffee before she comes in. And I start to pray and I say, God, God, help me. My friend's here. She's going to give me a bath. She's going to get me dressed. She's going to brush my hair and brush my teeth. And she's going to sit me up in my wheelchair, and she's going to send me out the door for the day. And God, I don't have any strength for this again today, this process, this, this process, this ritual we go through. I don't have any strength. I have no resources for it today. God, I have no smile to give today. to any. I have no grace to give today for anybody. God, help me. I need you. I need your help today, God. That was Johnny's prayer. So the, the lipstick lady looks at her and says, well, what happens when your friend comes in your room? Johnny says, well, I turn my head and I look at her and I give her a smile sent from heaven. I give her a smile sent from heaven. I can't, I can't do it, but God could do it. And then she pointed to her paralyzed legs. and She says, look at me. She says, any joy that you see in me today was, was won hard and fought hard for this morning. Johnny wrote this, that she's learned, she famously wrote these words, that she's learned that the weaker we are, the more we have to lean on God, and that the more we lean on God, the stronger we find him to be, the stronger we find him to be. Listen, since suffering is unavoidable, 
everyone will suffer. All people have to come up with an answer of why do we suffer? Why is there evil? Because it is unavoidable, just like taxes, unavoidable. Rather than rejecting the best help we could get, we need to receive the best help we could get. And Job, Job knows the best help. It's a story of Scripture. We can have confidence that God has good reasons for the suffering we face. We can have confidence that he's not responsible for evil, but we also have confidence in this, that he took responsibility for evil and suffering. He took responsibility for evil and suffering. The story of Job, Job is an image. He's a picture of a, of a he's an imperfect image of a, of a perfect hero, of a righteous savior. You know, Job made these sacrifices and lived an upright life. All the stories of the Bible point to the big story, the great story, the true, perfect, righteous hero, Jesus himself, who came, who was faultless in his suffering, who made the greatest sacrifice on our behalf, and who proved the worth and the glory and the greatness of God once and for all. So we've got to trust in Jesus today. Let's respond. Let's sing our hearts out to Jesus. Let's turn to him, the greatest help to face our suffering. The Bible has great insights and great answers to help our minds get a foundation that we can build upon, that we can intellectually understand suffering in some regard to get some insight to it. But even then, it's not enough. We've got to receive the comfort of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God to know to how to endure that great pain and that suffering that we experience. Let's turn to Jesus today. Let's respond. Perhaps you need prayer. Join a small group. Don't leave here without joining a small group. You can either text in or we've got sign-up sheets in the lobby. Please join a small group. I'd love to have you in the Alpha group that I'm going to be in with Natalie and Andrew. It'd be a great semester going through the Alpha material. It's kind of a, Alpha is an introductory course to Christianity, kind of answering the big questions of the Christian faith. Similar to this series, uh, a little different but similar. Let's respond today. Maybe you want to give today. Maybe you want to get more involved at Trinity today. Whatever it is, take that step. Want to become a follower of Christ. We're planning baptisms. Next week, January 30th, you want to be baptized. We're going to be doing baptisms here live. Sign up. You can do that. You can respond. You can text in like Natalie was talking about earlier on. You can text the word enjoy to 94,000. There's lots of ways to respond there.